0: The text for this morning is Psalm 34. Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard Him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. O oh, taste. And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life, And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today is New Year's Day. In many days, it's like any other day. 24 hours long, the sun rises and the sun sets, and it's a gift of God to be alive on it. But it is also a special day. Today's the beginning of a new year. At this point, many have taken the time to look over this past year and its ups and downs. For some of us, this has been a year of incredible changes. Life may seem to be moving at a rapid pace. Maybe you changed jobs or got married. Maybe you asked someone to be your girlfriend or were engaged. Maybe your first child was born. Then this past year was a time of great rejoicing for you. For others, this was a time of great sorrow. You had a dear friend or sibling pass away. You suffered a financial blow. There was a breakdown, and your relationship with a parent, a child, or a spouse is not the same as it once was. These moments have brought you much grief. And finally, there are those for whom this year is just another year. Nothing particularly stands out about it. Looking back, you can see some personal growth, perhaps a minor setback or two but nothing is noticeably different about this year. Maybe you feel like you're in a rut, or maybe you're happy that things have finally settled down and become normal. Whatever the case, for the moment you are just on cruise control from point A to point B. Whatever our situation is, brothers and sisters, whether this is a good year, or this has not been a good year, or we're just in cruise control, The Lord has been watching over us. Our Father has kept us in His hand this past year. He has seen our small triumphs. He's seen our setbacks. He carried us through those times when we thought it would be impossible to continue. He has watched over our coming and our going. Your very breath from one moment to the next was due to His upholding care, the continual beating of your heart. Keeping you alive to carry out your daily tasks is a gift from him. It is because of this reality that the psalmist calls out to people of every background and every walk of life with the words, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll see the two things that he looks at in this psalm. First of all, rejoice in him. And secondly, fear him. Before we look into that in depth, let's take a quick look at the background of the psalm. What could cause King David to write in such a way? To answer these questions, we can look at the title, A Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Immediately, someone familiar with the story would be able to look back and think, something's not quite right here. We just read a story in 1 Samuel 21 where it said that it was Achish before whom David pretended madness. And here it says he pretended madness before Abimelech. Such a person would be partly right. The name mentioned here is not that of Achish, king of Gath. But the reason for this is that it seems that Abimelech was the royal title of people of kings back in the day. And the name Abimelech literally means, my father is king. The idea behind the title Abimelech, or my father is king, gave legitimacy to the rule of the king of that particular city-state. The person's father was king, and so he had the right by birth to be king. You can see the same pattern coming up earlier in the region's history. In Genesis 20, Abraham deals with an individual named Abimelech, the king of Gerar. Later again, years later, Isaac deals with another Abimelech in the same location, the successor to the Abimelech that dealt with his father Abraham. In both of these cases, as with Psalm 34 and other sources that have been discovered in the area, it seems that Abimelech was the royal title. So when David flees from Abimelech, He's fleeing from royalty, someone with a strong arm and powerful allies. It's with this ordeal fresh in his mind that he writes this psalm. The passage that we're looking at this morning is broken down into two major parts. The first is a direct response to what is referred to in the title. And so the first half of this psalm takes on the character of many thanksgiving psalms speaking of the deliverance of the Lord over a past event. The second takes on to the character of wisdom literature, but I'll get to that later. Although the event in David's mind is a specific one, King David wanted this psalm to be used more broadly in worship and teaching. And so he refers to his deliverance in very general terms. You don't hear him talking in a psalm about Philistia, nor does he make any reference to specific people. Instead, he speaks in such a way that more people can relate to this passage. You find the same strategy in many songs today. Often popular songwriters will put, for example, a romantic song on the radio. They will sing eloquently about the deep love that they have. And frequently, this song song, is about someone that they know but the lyrics are written in such a way that you can't tell who it's specifically about. You can't tell the situation surrounding it. All it does is stir in you a warm sense of love for whoever it is that you yourself love. That is what David is trying to do here. He wants to look at our lives in the past and he wants to stir in us a thankfulness towards the Lord, a response of thankfulness to our God. For that was his response. That's what he has done. King David finds himself in a harrowing time in the context of this psalm. He was being pursued by Saul. He was on the run for his life. And seeking refuge in the court of King Achish, he seems to jump from the frying pan into the fire. Have you ever had moments like this? When running from one thing, you ended up in a bigger mess than before? That's what David is facing. As we read in 1 Samuel 21, the response to his arrival in the court of King Achish is a very negative one. He even had to pretend to be insane so that he could be thrown out of court instead of killed. But what is his response to all of this? It's praise. We read, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What kind of a response is this? Wouldn't the natural inclination be, no one's looking out for me? And so I'll look out for number one. Obviously, the only thing I can rely on is myself. I'm independent, I'll survive. And bitterness and cynicism would take the foreground. King David, on the other hand, takes a very different approach. He turns to the Lord, singing praises to him. The praise of the Lord is continually on his mouth as a reflection of his heart. We read in Luke, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can see this being a reality in David. His love for the Lord is deeply embedded in his heart. He worships with his entire being, highlighted in the words, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And he makes it clear that no matter what happens, his response is an outpouring of praise. It's somewhat similar to the language of Job, isn't it? After having lost his status, his reputation, his possessions and his family, he bows down before the Lord and he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now David is not worshiping God at this point because God has done something for him. He is worshiping him in these first verses. He's introducing the psalm as worshiping him because he is Yahweh the covenant God, the one who has established a relationship with him. He is worshiping him because he is God. And because he is God, he is worthy of worship, whatever may come. He is worthy of worship at all times. Our praise of him is to be continual. The worship of David is boasting He is proclaiming the name of the Lord to those around. His voice is bent toward proclaiming the name of the Lord. He's not elevating his own name, his own accomplishments. Even though these accomplishments are many in the past, they are not the focus of his boasting. He recognizes what he has from the Lord, and he boasts in him. He boasts in having the greatest God in all the world. The God who is in control of all things, even when life seems grim for him personally. And it has an effect, doesn't it? We can see that very same effect today. When people ask us how we are able to cope with what we are going through, then we turn our words to God. We raise up his name, his honor, and his glory. We are able to rejoice in his name and exalt in him, because he not only is God, but he is our God, the covenant God, who is in a relationship with us. Recognizing this causes the humble to hear it and be glad. Do you want to know what this feels like? Perhaps this isn't something that you can personally think of, After church today, ask someone to describe how God has supported them through their lives up to this point. Older members of the congregation have an especially vivid recollection of this. Go to them and ask them, see how they boast in the Lord. Then look to your own life in turn and search for his hand. Let their boasting in the Lord be a cause for your own boasting in the Lord. Magnify his name together. Because that is what magnifying the Lord is. It's not making God greater, as we can't do that as human beings. But rather, it's recognizing more of, what, of who he is and what he has done. It's pulling back a bit more of the curtain on your own life meditating on what he has done, and then pulling it back for others in their lives as well. It's being able to say, in the words of Revelation, "Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent, the Lord God, the all-powerful, reigns. And again in the words of Jeremiah the prophet, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And that is exactly what King David proceeds to do as well. He will worship the Lord at all times, whatever may come. It's not contingent on what the Lord has done. It doesn't depend on how much God has given him. He worships the Lord because he is God and because he is worthy of worship. Now, this doesn't mean that what the Lord has done for him is meaningless. We can see that later in the psalm. But David shows it is a cause for greater worship. He worships God not because of what he has done for him, but because of who he is. And whatever he has done for him, it gives him so much more to worship God for. So King David seizes this opportunity not only to describe his praise for the Lord but also to praise him for what he has done for him and give him the glory. And he does it in such a manner that he provides a template. He gives us an example of the manner in which we should lift up praise to the Lord. He gives us a way to do that ourselves. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried out for help, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. Those who turn to the Lord and rely on him in times of trouble do not need to fear. While things seem overwhelming at the time, those who look to him will not be ashamed. It may be tempting at times like this to try to fall on your own resources, to try make a go of things on your own, But don't do it. Don't cut out the Lord in these times. Look to him in prayer and trust and make your decisions based on the fact that he is there, that he is God. Because if you do that, then he is the safety net that will catch you even if your plans fail. He will be there guiding you And when you fall, he will be there to catch you. You made your plans knowing that you entrusted them to the Lord and he did what he willed with them. You can be content that you did your best keeping the Lord at the forefront and the fallout of that will be entrusted to him. He encamps around those who approach life in this way. The word used for encamp there, that David uses there, is military language, language of protection. And the deliverance described by David is military language as well. It's language of protection as well. The Lord hears, the Lord watches over, and the Lord will deliver. David is speaking out of his own personal experience when he makes these promises and he invites the reader the one who is listening to this song of praise to experience it with him taste and see that the lord is good take the plunge with me see if the lord doesn't catch you and bear you up fear the lord you his saints you have been set apart from birth you are the holy ones You are the ones who are set apart. It's not of your own accord, of your own merits that the the Lord loves you. But because he declared you holy, he declared you to be his. If he declared you to be his, will you not trust in him? Will you not trust that he will look after those whom he has chosen? In the past, from my experience fighting giants, Philistines, running from Saul, and fleeing for my life, I have seen that the Lord still provides I have seen the greatest of all creatures, those who are best at providing themselves, even young lions going hungry and lacking, but I've seen the Lord care for those who seek him. He will take them through. They will pull through because they rely on him. These words of David remind me strongly of a story I heard of the war years in the Netherlands. And to be honest, I can't remember if it was my grandparents or people they knew who experienced it, but it was someone related to someone I knew. There was a real shortage of food for a while, and for a while the cupboards were bare. Many of you have had grandparents who went through similar experiences that there was just no food left in the house. And they didn't know where they were going to get their next meal from. But because it was lunchtime, they all gathered around the table. And they thought, you know what? We will sit down midday for a time of worship to the Lord. They all sat down around that table and they read the Bible and they began to pray. And while they were praying, they heard the doorbell ring. They finished the prayer, one of the children was sent to the door, and he opens it, and there is a sack of potatoes. It wasn't much, but it pulled them through. Who delivered it and how it came to them, they had no idea, but they did know that ultimately it was from the Lord. Their covenant God, Yahweh, had come to their rescue and their help in their time of need. And he had provided. Today, we have even more to give thanks for than David. Because the Lord has delivered us from even more than just physical want. From even more than just physical need. We have experienced the Lord fulfilling the greatest need that mankind could experience the one bridging the separation between God and man through Jesus Christ. We are now indeed God's saints, his holy and chosen ones. We are his children and heirs. In him, if him being our God was reason enough for David to praise him, how much more, now that he is our father, should we praise him? This is our second point. At this point, David launches into the second half of his psalm. The focus of this half is not so much praise and thanksgiving as the first half. Rather, the second half is teaching. This half is what theologians describe as wisdom literature. It follows the pattern of Proverbs with the words, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is described elsewhere in Scripture as the beginning of wisdom. It is to know where you stand in relation to God and to have a healthy respect and awe of Him. Now, some people stop here describing the fear of the Lord as simply standing in awe of Him. But it's more than that. The fear of the Lord can be described in language that you would use for fire. Think back to the days of the Wild West. In the snowy snowy days at the depths of winter, when the air crackles because it's so cold, the fire is what keeps the cowboy warm. The fire kept him going. Even when he had to spend a night out in the open, he would find a sheltered place and then build a fire and have enough wood on hand to keep it fed all night. In some cases, it could literally mean death for him for that fire to go out. The fire meant life to him. But respect had to be maintained for that fire. Because if that fire went wild, then it could mean death to all those around. Many of you may remember that scene from Laura Ingalls Wilder where a prairie fire starts up. There's just a sheer panic As Pa comes running in and starts shouting orders, water gets tossed around. Pa plows a furrow and starts a backfire to burn the grass around the house before the main prairie fire reaches his property. He and his family understood the devastation that such a fire could cause if fire was not respected. Fire can mean life, but fire can also mean death. As all analogies go, this one breaks down pretty easily. God, unlike fire, doesn't mindlessly destroy. In addition, he can't be controlled by our actions like fire can. We can rest in the comfort that he cares for his loved ones and he looks out for them. But that doesn't give us the liberty to treat him lightly. We are totally dependent on his mercy and we need to realize this. How often do we take him for granted? How often don't we give him the respect he deserves, shuffling him to the side in favor for other things? Brothers and sisters, we need to take care. We need to keep watch. We who believe are receiving a heavenly kingdom, yes, but that doesn't mean that we can become complacent. As the apostle says in Hebrews, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, Let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So how can we go about this? How do we live life in this upcoming year in the way of life, in a way showing acceptable reverence and fear? David gives us the first question. He gives us the question of life here. Who is the man who desires life and loves many good days that he, may, that he may see good? And then in answer, he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We are not simply meant to change our outward action, but we are called to rejoice in the way of life. As those who fear God, our speech must change, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Life and speech are intimately related. Our speech echoes what is in our hearts, so if we watch our speech, we show that we are keeping watch over our hearts as well. But we must not just guard our hearts, we must actively pursue good things. And that's why he calls us to turn from evil and do good. Do you have habits that you want to break? Is one of your New Year's resolutions to put an evil habit, a sinful habit, behind yourself? Don't just put this habit to the side, but replace it. If you're simply trying to suppress a bad habit, you're holding back a flood from racing down a channel that has been carved for it by going over it again and again and again. That's exhausting, and ultimately it will be an exercise of futility. What you need to do is carve new channels. Depart from evil and do good. Good. Give your resources, your time, your money, and your sexuality new and healthy channels to flow down. Depart from evil and do good. And finally, seek peace and pursue it. It's only in the fear of the Lord that you will be able to find peace. If you depart from the Lord and seek other things, you will find yourself hopelessly mired. But in obedience to the Lord, in sacrificial relationships to those around and in pursuing faithful obedience in the life that the Lord has granted you, you will be able to find peace. Seek peace and pursue it. When we seek ourselves in the Lord and try to live at the center of His will, committing our lives to Him, we know that He will hear us. His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. For a time the wicked may spring up like grass and prosper, but sooner or later in this life or in the next they receive their due. They will know why we fear him. They will know why we look to him in love for life and have a healthy respect and awe for his power. For the Lord hears when the righteous cry out and he delivers them out of all their troubles, but the wicked will be condemned. For our fearsome Lord will come to our defense. So this new year, make it your New Year's resolution, above all, to submit to the Lord. Come before Him with a broken and contrite heart, recognizing your sins and sinfulness, and trust that He will hear your cry and come to you. For He does hear your cry, and He answers. In fact, He has already answered in the most important way possible, because our greatest oppression and brokenness was due to our sin, It was due to our rebellion against God. But Christ has paid the price. He has given us the victory. We read in verse 20, He guards all His bones. Not one of them is broken. And we read later that that was true for Christ, the righteous one. We read about it being a prophecy that's fulfilled. This prophecy was fulfilled many years later on the cross. So this coming year, remember that. Strive to live for God more and more, but as happens with most resolutions, most resolutions fail. So when you see your weak and broken sinful nature coming to the fore, give thanks to the one who remained unbroken, to the one who remained steadfast. Yes, his body was broken in the flesh, but his bones and spirit remained unbroken. Yes, he descended into the depths of the pit, but he emerged again victorious. Through him, the Lord redeems the souls of his servants. And not one of those who trust in him will be condemned. So this year, as the year progresses, remember that. Look to the Lord and rejoice in whatever may come. Taste and see his goodness. For you have a fearsome redeemer who is on your side. Amen.